to the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff. Tonight, we've got so much to invest. We're going to investigate Judge Amy Coney Barrett's dangerous ties to big oil. It's been a crazy week. We saw Judge Amy, as I called her, being elevated to the Supreme Court in a rush to make sure that she was confirmed. So, again, why the rush? Well, Judge Amy, in my opinion, is a big win for big oil. We're going to talk about that and also later on how Senator Lisa Murkowski provided the needed vote, or one of the needed votes, to confirm. So, Judge Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed to be the next Supreme Court judge by Senate Republicans after very rushed confirmation hearings that concluded with a vote along partisan lines. I believe it was 53 to 48, or no, 52 to 48. Only one Republican voted no on her confirmation. Ironically, Senator Susan Collins of Maine. Though alleged GOP moderate Lisa Murkowski of Alaska was initially expected to vote no in the name of feminism, she caved and changed her mind. We'll discuss that a little later. The truth is, the entire procedure was a scam, including the reason why Amy Coney Barrett was elevated to the Supreme Court and eventually why Lisa Murkowski voted yes. It wasn't primarily about feminism or the right of any, um, I'm sorry, excuse me, or the right of any woman to control her reproductive life. Those religiously autocratic points were litigious icing on the cake, if you will, for religious extremists of fundamentalist Christianity. The real reason was big oil. So we're going to talk about a few documents I found. In Sludge, uh, they basically published October 5th, uh, written by David Moore, who's the co-founder of Sludge, and edited by Donald Shaw. We found that there was a Club for Growth ad, among several others, that were really urging the confirmation of Judge Amy. There were billionaire oligarchs and anonymous mega donors behind these ads. You have to wonder, why is there so much advertising to elevate and confirm a Supreme Court judge? It seems inappropriate. But there was. There were uh, anonymous donations from finance executives, industrial magnates, right-wing mega donors, and they spent tens of millions of dollars on ads to confirm Judge Amy. Now, part of it is that since the three years that she's been on the Seventh Circuit, she has tended to rule in line with what corporate wants. We're looking at the Supreme Court under Chief Justice John Roberts, and it has been very friendly for corporations. In fact, there was a new analysis by the Constitutional, Account Constitutional Accountability Center, which is a progressive think tank, and they actually looked at how often uh, the Supreme Court reversed lower court decisions and that wound up favoring corporate interest. So the groups helped push uh, through Judge Amy, not just Judge Amy, but also the two Trump's two previous nominees. That, you know, we're talking Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. Well, there's a lot of people there that you wouldn't have expected, all right? So we're talking about um, conservative groups that have spent millions on television, digital, and direct mail ads. Um, and there was another analysis conducted by Accountable.us, and that's a watchdog group. And what they found was that Judge Amy signed with corporations 
over people about 76% of the time on the Seventh Circuit. And that was after they, after Accountable.us had reviewed 44 of 55 cases that they reviewed. Okay. So one of the cases was uh, Bruce Betzner and Barbara Betzner versus the Boeing Company. And Judge Amy voted to reverse a district court's decision that would send a personal injury lawsuit back to state courts. And, and that's what Boeing wanted. Boeing wanted to go back to state courts. Um, Judge Amy ruled against gig workers. In August on the Seventh Circuit, she delivered a ruling that could possibly block gig workers uh, from being able to sue when tech companies refused to pay them overtime pay. And that was according to a report from the Daily Poster. So we've got a bunch of a bunch of cases on the SCOTUS, the Supreme Court docket, um, and a lot of them involve state rulings. One of them is Ford Motor Company versus Montana Eighth Judicial Eighth Judicial District Court, and that could limit um, where individuals such as you and I could actually push uh, a personal injury suit. There's Rutledge v. Pharmaceutical Care Management Association. That would be about whether states can regulate pharmacy benefit managers. And then there's Carney v. Adams. And that would be whether states, quote, can require judges to be affiliated with one of the two major political parties, end quote. Other cases that would be heard on the Supreme Court would deal with deceptive commercial activities, quote, arbitration agreements that limit people's ability to sue corporations, and the enforcement of IRS reporting requirements, which sounds really suspicious. Very, well, that would be very convenient for Donald Trump. He wouldn't have to show his taxes. Now, many of the top funders backing Judge Amy are the following. Clover Growth, it's right wing, um, and they are a past recipient of funding from the Koch-backed Center to Protect Patient Rights. You can't make up these names, they're very ironic. Um, there's a Super PAC Club for Action Growth. Um, Club for Growth President David McIntosh issued a statement where he praised Judge Jamie, quote, this choice will shape America's future as the court considers cases relating to issues like the constant unconstitutional growth of government and whether federal agencies should have free reign to enact arbitrary rules without congressional approval, end quote. To me, it sounds like Mr. McIntosh would like to see the courts, including the Supreme Court, just rubber stamp whatever Republicans in Congress want, and that's not what they're supposed to do. Um, Right-wing billionaire Jeff Yass, who is a co-founder of Susquehanna International Group, it's a financial firm, donated over $17.5 million to the Super PAC. Uh, he's a Pennsylvania-based options trader. Um, and you've got Richard and Barbara Gabby contributed over $1.6 million to Club for Growth Action. Uh, Barbara Gabby is the youngest child of Amway co-founder Jada Andel, who, in conjunction with the DeVos family, has been a major funder of Heritage Foundation, and ALEC, which is, again, a bill mill. Um, there's America First Action. It's a pro-Trump super PAC, um, and they promised ad buys totaling $5 million to promote Judge Amy. Uh, it's nonprofit arm, America First Policies, was given $22 million in 2017 from donors. They didn't have to disclose their identities at all because, again, it's non-for-profit, allegedly. 
and the PAC also received nearly $83 million that cycle, according to the Center for Responsive Politics. The CEO of Energy Transfer Partners, Dave Heavily, and Energy Transfer Partners is to, they're the people that want to build the Dakota Access Pipeline. That's a fracking pipeline, okay? And that's Republican mega donor Timothy Mellon. He's a majority owner of, oh, I'm sorry, I take that back. Um, so the CEO of Energy Transfer Partners did get heavily, um, and that is actually Kelsey Warren. I stand corrected. So you have a lot of big funders, Americans for Prosperity, Coke funded, um, and the Cokes are heavily invested in fracking pipeline uh, projects, which is, again, big oil, um, and they gave also. And then there's the Judicial Crisis Network, and they take a lead role in, in the communications push to you know, confirm the people that Trump's told to push onto the Supreme Court. Um, I don't for a minute believe that these, uh, these uh, recommendations for SCOTUS judges came from Donald Trump. I don't think he's smart enough. They most likely came from Leonard Leo of the um, Federalist Society. But that's my opinion. So the Judicial Crisis Network is a lead communications um, push, and they have received $30 million between July 2018 and 2019. Um, then they got $15.9 million in one donation from an anonymous donor. Okay, this is Antonin Scalia's gift, dubious gift to the world, because what you have here is money that is buying influence, uh, again, that's my opinion, but that I stand by it. So now you have a report, and this is from Accountable.us, and again, it shows Judge Amy's, you know, her record on the seventh. And according to um, the report, quote, um, Judge Barrett's record protecting corporate interests over people leaves no mystery about her priorities, priorities that could take the nation backwards on many important issues. This nominee would be no friend to the small businesses and workers who continue to struggle during the ongoing public health and economic crisis, end quote. So Judge Barrett's most troubling corporation's first decision to according to accountable.us, she ruled in favor of a major pharma company over a woman who was forced to get a hysterectomy because of a faulty IUD. She voted against rehearing a case. Another judge said upheld a separate but equal doctrine on racial segregation. And then she ruled that protections against age discrimination for employees do not extend to job applicants. So it's clear this woman is no friend to democracy once again. Um, and then you've got her troubling position with climate denial, all right? So we're getting into this because Judge Amy has a big conflict of interest um, that is in her family regarding big oil. But again, this is a piece that was written by David Sirota and Andrew Perez. And, you know, again, Democrats pushed her to commit, to, to commit that she would recuse herself from oil company cases. And you're going to find out why. And she's refusing and she's kind of reiterating this ridiculous idea that climate science is, quote, con controversial. It's science. It's not controversial. 
So the Daily Poster broke the news, and this was about her familial ties to a major oil company that is going to be uh, involved in a major landmark climate case that's going to go before the Supreme Court. And that is because her father, worked, it involves Royal Dutch Shell, among others, and her father worked for Royal Dutch Shell as a top attorney for decades. Um, the case is BP PLC at LV versus Mayor and City Council of Baltimore. So the poor little city of Baltimore is trying to get some justice here. And when Barrett was lower court judge these past three years, she did recuse herself from cases involving Shell Oil. But that's because her home state required that. But she hasn't recused herself from any other big oil associations, including the American Petroleum Institute, in which her father, Mike Coney, is still a fixture there. And he served as a top, in a top position at the American Petroleum Institute. The American Petroleum Institute, or API, is the fossil fuel industry's top lobby group. All right? And so Barrett refused to, to recuse herself from any oil company cases um, and knowing full well that this case involving Shell is going to hit the Supreme Court that she's going to be on. To quote Judge Amy, my father worked at Shell Oil Company for many years while in the Seventh Circuit. In an abundance of caution, I have recused myself from cases involving those Shell entities with which he was involved. Um, and that was a response to a question, a written response to a question from Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. And but she didn't for some reason White House didn't he didn't push further didn't ask whether Barrett would continue to recuse herself from shell cases or from any other big oil cases and that includes the upcoming one that I just mentioned and the Supreme Court is going to hear that days you know they accepted that case on October 5th days after Barrett was nominated and this is the smoking gun because they the administration and the API, they know how Judge Amy is going to rule. All right. She's going to use procedural tricks, but they know how she's going to rule. So what is that case about? Well, Shell and some other fossil fuel companies, they're asking the Supreme Court to take other all these climate related lawsuits and remove them from state court and push them into federal court. You think why would they want that? Because there tends to be this, this precedent that the federal courts are often friendlier, if you will, to corporate defendants. And so Judge Amy is in a position where she would probably cast the deciding vote uh, on that case, which could decide the fate of all future climate litigation. Okay? So, you know, the Cal a California senator asked Judge Amy, are there any other oil and energy companies that if a case involving them were to reach the Supreme Court, you need to recuse yourself from. Barrett refused, Judge Amy refused to answer. Okay? Instead, she wrote, quote, the question of recusal is a threshold question of law that must be addressed in the context of the facts of each case. Well, that's rather obvious, right? Every judge knows that. But we have a right, when you're talking about the Supreme Court, we have a right to know if she has the integrity to recuse herself and do the right thing, even if there's a slight appearance of impropriety. 
But instead, Judge Amy quoted uh, what Justice Ginsburg did. She wrote, she wrote, quote, as Justice Ginsburg described the process that Supreme Court justices go through in deciding whether to recuse. It involves reading the statute, reviewing precedent, and consulting with colleagues. As a sitting judge and as a judicial nominee, it would not be appropriate for me to offer an opinion on abstract legal issues or hypotheticals. Such questions can only be answered through the judicial process, end quote. So here's the thing. Judge Amy is making this specious claim that reading the statute, reviewing precedent, and consulting with fellow justices and colleagues, in other words, doing her job would be inappropriate. And she's calling it hypothetical. Well, before we confirm a Supreme Court judge, yeah, we have a right to know what their judicial philosophy is. And when they refuse to answer hypothetical questions, which, is, which are perfectly legitimate, guess what? Then they're denying us the right to know their judicial philosophy. And that is unacceptable. Then Judge Amy said that, you know, climate science is, quote, a controversial, controversial subject. I don't know where she gets this from, all right? In fact, um, in her confirmation hearing, she said that climate change, quote, is a very contentious matter of public debate, end quote. I don't know how it can be contentious. The science is there. But then she was asked by one of the senators, do you have any reason, quote, to dispute the scientific consensus on human-caused climate change, end quote? Judge Amy was quoted saying, quote, my views on the subject are not relevant to my job, job as a judge. If a case before me involving environmental regulation, I will carefully review the record and apply the relevant law to the facts before me. Furthermore, the Supreme Court has described climate change as a controversial subject and sensitive political topic. It would, not be, it would be inappropriate for me as a sitting judge and as a judicial nominee to opine further on the subject on any subject of political controversy, end quote. I challenge judging me on this one. Again, when you are considering people for the Supreme Court, you need to know the judicial philosophy. We have a right to know. And while it is inappropriate to comment on sitting cases, specific cases, it is not inappropriate to ask about hypothetical cases and how their judicial philosophy would affect those hypothetical cases. Not at all. Instead, Judge Amy relied on that excuse to refuse to answer really any questions. Then we have the Washington Post, the smoking, and again, it talks more about that what I call the smoking gun case, the real reason for the rush to confirm Judge Amy Coney Barrett. And again, when you look at this case, the idea is that there are local governments, not just Baltimore, from Rhode Island to California that are wanting to hold fossil fuel companies accountable, not only for global warming, but for the damages they do locally that cost those, those cities and those states extra money just to try and repair the damage. For example, the out-of-control wildfires in California. And again, the case is BP, PLC et al. versus Mayor and City Council of Baltimore. And again, this is a case where the lawyers for big oil are going to use procedural deceit to subvert the intent of the law, in my opinion. Okay? Because this is really deciding 
this is this is about procedural technical problems, all right? So the court's decision to review the case is regarded, according to the, to the Washington Post, as a win for oil companies already. And again, these local governments are wanting to they want to push these lawsuits uh, against big oil and make them pay for damages of you know in terms of floods and fires and other climate change climate change caused disasters. So there's over the past several years, over a dozen states, counties, and cities have pushed these lawsuits. And you know, they're saying that basically climate change caused by big oil causing uh, is re- is resulting in long, much longer and more serious, more severe droughts, stronger storms, fiercer wildfires. <clears throat> and a month ago, Connecticut, Del- Delaware, Charleston, South, Col- South Carolina, and Hoboken, New Jersey, made a bunch of different claims in court with the same theme. And they're alleging the oil companies misled the public, lied to the public, if you will, about the dangers posed by rising global temperatures. And now. And with all these climate disasters, and the taxpayers are having to pay the price to try and fix things, you know, in terms of putting up higher seawalls and other things. The oil industry's response was predictable, okay? They want to kick the cases out of state court. They want them heard in the federal, at the federal level where it is more sympathetic to corporate. So they figure they're going to win. In short, in my opinion, big oil is going court venue shopping to get a sympathetic venue. So you have to remember, in this case, the court isn't really thinking about the broader or the bigger questions about the science of climate change, okay? Um, and, and this is a little different, and not the government's role in stopping it. Um, so Sean Heck, the law professor at the University of California, Los Angeles, um, who's worked on a lot of these California, um, climate lawsuits with a lot of California counties, was quoted saying, well, it's certainly not your garden variety climate change case in the sense that the court is certainly not going to be dealing with questions about is climate change real. Um, so this ongoing coordinated, uh, so basically it's different, okay? This is dealing with when they're going to be able to actually, a venue they're going to have. Um, so they're they going court shopping is what it is. Um, Paul G. Alfonso, who's the chief legal officer of the American Petroleum Institute, um, was quoted as saying, this ongoing coordinated campaign to wage meritless lawsuits against companies providing affordable, reliable, and cleaner energy is nothing more than a distraction from these important issues and enormous waste of taxpayer resources. Well, that's predictable. Okay. Here's the thing, all right? It is a narrow issue. This is about whether or not the Supreme Court can decide where this case is going to be heard. Obviously, big oil wants it at the federal level where the precedent favors them. And also where there's not necessarily going to be a jury of people that live in the community. There's not going to be a lot of press coverage during the trial. Now, it should be noted that Justice Samuel Alito did recuse himself on this case. I don't know why, but he did. Okay? 
So Joe Jamie has a conflict of interest in terms of her father's work, not only with Royal Dutch Shell, but his ongoing work with the American Petroleum Industry, American Petroleum Institute. Excuse me. <clears throat> excuse me. So, and again, think about it this way: now that Judge Amy's on the court, she's going to give Trump that six to three conservative majority. So let's look at this case. In 2018, in this specific case, the city of Baltimore sued 26 companies regarding the cost of damages caused by climate change. And this was part of a, what you call a surge of many city and state governments also pressing these lawsuits. And these communities wanted their cases heard in state court. You know, they feel that they're going to have a better chance, as reported by the Washington Post. So October 5th, the Supreme Court agreed to, to hear the case, and they're going to determine how appeals courts decide where these climate change lawsuits are going to be heard. Okay? So let's look at the Barrett factor. Okay? Baltimore basically said that fossil fuel companies like BP, Sitco, and ConocoPhillips have violated Maryland state laws and they also withheld relevant facts as reported by the Baltimore Sun about climate change from the public. And they're suing these companies to cover costs from the damages caused by climate change. The lawsuit also alleges that these oil and gas companies have had this known for decades, the damage that their products cause to the climate, and quote, they have engaged, quote, in a coordinated multi-front effort to conceal and deny their own knowledge of those threats, end quote. Okay? There's more than a dozen of these type lawsuits um, throughout the U.S. The companies have tried to move the cases from state court to federal level because, again, they're going to have a favorable hearing at the federal level. And according to the Washington Post, quote, the Supreme Court will consider how much leeway appeals courts get in deciding the best venue for the climate lawsuits from states and cities, end quote. So we've got a lot of issues going on here, all right? And actually, I said October 5th. It's actually October 2nd when the Supreme Court said that they will consider the appeal of oil and gas companies and the following oil and gas companies, BP, PLC, Chevron, ExxonMobil, and Royal Dutch Shell, PLC, and multiple others. And this was from a March ruling by the Court of, U.S. Court of Appeals on the Fourth Circuit. And again, the notice said that Justice Alito did not take part in the decision to take the case. He recused himself. Again, to me, on the part of Big Oil, this looks like verdict shopping, my opinion. So the issue before the Supreme Court is really about jurisdiction. You know, and the jurisdiction that federal appellate courts have, quote, to review all components of the district court's remand orders, end quote. So lower courts are kind of divided regarding this. Um, so the question, the company's claim, quote, the question presented in this case is a frequent, frequent recurring one of substantial legal and practical importance, end quote. That's what the company's told the Supreme Court. So what happened in the Fourth Circuit? The companies, after a move, 
a district court judge's remand, in other words, send back decision to the federal district court. And they listed a bunch of grounds for removal. The Fourth Circuit said that there was only jurisdiction to consider one of the company's grounds, and that was a federal officer removal statute. So that basically says anyone being sued in state court for actions taken by either a federal officer under the direction of a federal officer, they can have their case moved to federal court. Okay. The Fourth Circuit judges said that the companies had not shown that they were acting, quote, as federal officers when they were basically drilling for oil and selling their oil and gas products. So they sent the case back to state court. The Ninth Court of Appeals enters. They had a similar finding in May. So, again, these courts keep telling big oil, no, we're not doing this. And they, this was about climate liability lawsuits brought against big oil by a number of California cities and counties. Now, here's where it gets interesting. In 2015, Judge Amy was in the Seventh Circuit, and there was a case, a lawsuit against Boeing, Lu Jun Hong v. Boeing, and it's probably this case that resulted in Trump deciding that he was going to elevate her to the SCOTUS, the Supreme Court. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, they ruled that appellate courts have jurisdiction to consider the entire remand fund review. And the fossil fuel company said two other courts of appeals followed the Seventh Circuit, in other words, judging these reasoning. And um, I take that back. That was before. I am wrong. Um, this was in 2015 before Judge Amy was put on. I stand corrected. But once again, Judge Amy has a serious conflict of interest. I, folks, I can admit when I'm wrong. Okay, I'm looking at this, this source, and when I'm wrong, I'm going to tell you. All right, it, it's, it's not fun, but it's important. So we're looking at this case once again. These companies are look, they're verdict shopping. They believe that they will have a much better chance at the federal level. So let's talk about background, okay? Again, in this specific case, three separate federal appeals courts, the 4th, 9th, and 10th, they all ruled that climate liability cases against big oil can go ahead in state court. And the only the only case that they have they they spoke about the federal officer removal statute, all right. But again, these companies didn't act as a federal as a federal officer. So once again, these three appeals these three appeals courts, the fourth and ninth and the tenth, ruled that big oil, no, you you're going to have to face the music in state court. You don't have any grounds to go to federal court. 2017, 23 communities, including the states of Connecticut, Delaware, Massachusetts, Minnesota, and Rhode Island, the District of Columbia, Columbia, as well as a dozen city and county governments in California, Colorado, Hawaii, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, South Carolina, Washington, have all brought lawsuits, you know, to recover damages from big oil. All right? So... This is something that is consistent. And, you know, Judge Amy has a clear conflict of interest. So now we're looking at a press release. And 
again, accountable.us did some digging and found that the committee members of the Senate Judiciary Committee also have a confirmed judge that pushed Judge Amy's confirmation also have clear conflicts of interest. And that is something that, uh, again, I will read this quote. Quote, the Republican Senate Judiciary members supporting Trump's nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, had over 13 million oily reasons to do so. Big oil and their lobbyists have been lining the pockets of these members for their entire careers in order to pack corporate activist judges onto the bench, track records of siding with special interests over people like Barrett. The last thing Americans need is another anti-science, climate-denying justice on the highest court of the nation, end quote. And it was Jason O'Neill, accountable U.S. spokesperson. Um, so they have a thing called the Barrett Files, and this is a, a searchable database. And this is from Bar Judge Amy's time on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeal. And you can find any case that she decided in there. And once again, um, she refused to answer a question about whether or not climate change exists. She declined to answer if people who enjoy natural resources have standing about citizen environmental lawsuits. Um, she refused to clarify why her father's other oil affiliations like the American Petroleum Institute didn't make the list of, of considerations for her recusal from cases. Now you look at the Senate Judiciary Committee according to accountable.us. Wow. Senator John Cornyn of Texas has received $4,342,781 from oil and gas companies, according to Open Secrets. Ted Cruz has received $3,756,313 from oil and gas according to Open Secrets. Senator John Kennedy, who was so incensed that Judge Amy's integrity was being questioned, received $949,772 from oil and gas companies. Again, this is all from OpenSecrets.com. Senator Marsha Blackburn received $795,284 from oil and, big oil and gas. Senator Tom Tillis received 555875 from big oil and gas. Senator Lindsey Graham received $575,089 from oil and, big oil and gas. Senator Josh Hawley, my native state of Missouri, received $262,053 from oil and, big oil and gas. Senator Mike Lee, who claims he's so independent, received $366,306 from big oil and gas. Senator Joni Ernst received $368,769 from Big Oil and Gas. Senator Mike Krakow has received $468,937 from Big Oil and Gas. Senator Chuck Grassley has received $420,942. And Senator Ben Sass, who pretends to be so full of integrity, received $241,885 from Big Oil and Gas, all of this is researchable through OpenSecrets.com. Again, this is the influence of big money. We can't even have an honest Senate confirmation of a Supreme Court judge anymore. This is vile. Okay? It just is. And once again, we are stuck with this. The influence of big money. 
unbelievable. So, again, Alexander Kaufman from Huffington Post uh, wrote this article October 22nd about how Senate Republicans, again, moving Judge Amy forward. And again, this was talking about not only her familial ties to big oil, that's part of it, and not only her her entire week of evading senators evading senators' questions, but also her failure to allow Notre Dame, where she talked for 15 years, to release records from her teaching career. Again, I don't know why she wouldn't do that. She has a wealth of writing from Notre Dame, 15 years there. That's a huge amount of information about her judicial philosophy. And that leaves huge gaps in public knowledge about where Judge Amy stands on these issues. And I don't think it's because of her religious viewpoints. She's very outspoken about that. I think this is, again, about big oil. If you don't know what's going on, then there's no harm, no foul in their minds. And, again, she does have a consistent pattern of citing corporations. And this is really very difficult. So, again, accountable.us released the Barrett files. Again, a searchable database. And this is from our time on the Seventh Circuit of Court of Appeals. Um, and it includes things such as in one case, Democratic Party of Wisconsin versus Vose. Barrett ruled in favor of Wisconsin Republicans who stripped the governor's power in a lame duck session. Then there's Cheryl Dalton versus Tiva North America et al. Barrett wrote a majority opinion. Again, that's the one where the IED broke inside this woman's body and she was denied the right to, you know, you know, to get any sort of damages. And this is a problem that was reported to the Food and Drug Administration more than 1,600 times. Okay? This shows what Judge Amy is about. There's another case, Ruben Lopez Ramos versus William P. Barr. Barrett voted to deport a man. His mother was a U.S. citizen, but she voted to deport him because of a technicality, even though the man had lived in the U.S. for 30 years. So don't tell me about how Judge Amy is such a good Christian. She's clearly quite cold-blooded about this, my opinion. There's another case, Shanika Day at Al versus Franklin Wooten. Barrett ruled in favor of granting qualified immunity to a police officer who, quote, contributed to the death of a black teenager under his custody who had repeatedly claimed he could not breathe, end quote. And then there's Shonda Martin versus the Milwaukee County. Barrett voted to overturn a ruling um, that would have awarded damages to a survivor of sexual assault who had been repeatedly raped by a correctional officer during incarceration. Okay? And then when you add to it Judge Amy's problem with climate change and her ties to big oil, it's not hard to figure out why she was elevated to the court. And again, her obfuscation. She just wasn't going to answer questions. Um, in fact, according to an article, it was, actually it was a press release, October 21st. Um, this was a senator's 435 questions 
Barrett avoid answering the following? She avoid answering questions as to whether or not the Constitution guarantees birthright citizenship. She avoided answering whether a president can unilaterally delay an election. And she avoided answering whether there were racial disparities in the criminal justice system. The fact that she refused to answer those key questions right there should have been grounds to kick her nomination out. And these all tie in with what Donald Trump would want. We know Donald Trump is against, is he, he wants to end birthright citizenship. We know he wants to be able to delay an election. And he doesn't care about racial disparities. He likes them, as long as they favor whites. So, you know, once again, um, excuse me, Kyle Harry, president of governmentwatchdogaccountable.us, was quoted, excuse me, quote, there is abject failure to provide even remotely informative answers to important questions from the senators tasked with evaluating her for a lifetime appointment is an astounding dereliction of duty and offense to the American people. Kyle Harry also said, quote, while enlightening information about Barrett's record continue to trickle out from independent sources, Barrett's purposeful evasion of meaningful inquiries into her history and her unwillingness to provide documents from her career as a professor at Notre Dame are setting alarms ablaze, end quote. I agree. Now, the material that were submitted to the, the very compromised, the very morally compromised Judiciary Committee controlled by the GOP um, involved the following. Eleven. That's the number of senators who submitted questions for the record to for Judge Amy to answer during the hearings. 435. That's the number of questions that Barrett was, the judge was asked to provide answers for the record. 105 is the number of times the judge Amy said she could not, quote, opine on relative questions. Uh, I'm sorry, she, quote, could not opine on relevant questions the senators asked her. 63 is the number of times Barrett said, quote, it would be inappropriate for her to offer her stance on a question. And 254 is the number of times Barrett referred to already provided responses. In short, the, uh, the answers that Judge Amy provided were a very convoluted, <coughs> very convoluted um, graduate school version of the dog ate my homework. Inexcusable. So this is all from the root. Um, let's see, the root also shed light from her Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. And that was how she decided that a police officer contributed to the death of a black teenager in 2015. Okay, it was in 2015. And that, quote, he deserved protection from liability in the boy's death. And that had been called a radical departure of case law. Um, and then there were more, again, Barrett, Judge Amy refused to answer, as I said before, whether the Constitution guarantees birthright citizenship. Okay. She didn't answer if she would recuse herself from a dispute over Trump's election, even though Supreme Court precedent would apply directly to her if she were con confirmed and if Trump's election were disputed in this. This is really very, it, it, we're kind of deviating from the whole, <clears throat> 
the oil question, but you see that Jeb Jamie is basically compromised, both in terms of her integrity and in terms of her honesty. She's not telling obvious lies. She's telling lies of omission or refusing to provide any sort of information. <clears throat> she refused to answer a philosophical question, asking if she agreed with Mike Lee's claim that democracy isn't the objective of the American constitutional system. That is frightening. And uh, Sheldon Whitehouse asked her, quote, White House, do you agree with Senator Lee that democracy isn't the objective of the American constitutional system, liberty, peace, and prosperity are, end quote. Judge Amy replied, quote, it would be inappropriate for me as a sitting judge and as a judicial nominee to opine on the statements of any political figure or on any subject of political controversy, end quote. And what do we need the courts for, Judge Amy? I'd like to know. If you can't opine on subjects of political controversy, when the cases hit the court, what do we need the Supreme Court for at all then? <clears throat> she repeatedly refused to answer basic questions about whether or not climate change even exists. Okay. This is, we see a very compromised person. So by now it seems clear that Judge Amy Coney Barrett was brought in to assist big oil and other fossil fuel companies. Her religious fundamentalism, though important in terms of the fight for religious plurality and equal rights for all, was the grand distraction. The story was about big oil and the right of states and local communities to sue for damages caused by these fossil fuel corporations. Judge Amy Comey Barrett has been vilified by those of us on the political left for her hypocritical anti-feminist views as espoused by her lifelong membership in the ultra-fundamentalist sect of Catholicism called the people of praise. While this is a legitimate concern, the corporate media evaded another political red flag until a few days ago, Judge Amy's longstanding, intimate family ties to Big Oil. Only Democrat Sheldon, Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse <coughs> approached this serious conflict of interest. The history deals with Judge Amy's father, who worked as an attorney for Royal Dutch Shell and remains a central figure in the in the American Petroleum Institute, a major lobby group for big oil. Excuse me. <clears throat> While Judge Amy did recuse herself from cases involving Royal Dutch Shell, specifically from her bench on the Seventh Circuit, she did not recuse herself from any other cases involving the fossil fuel industry, including their lobby group, the American Petroleum Institute. It should be noted that her specific recusal was required by law in her home state. This talent for semantic hair-splitting demonstrates skill, but also a clear lack of integrity and principled judgment on Judge Amy's part. Judge Amy is far too intelligent to not comprehend this conflict of interest. It is also clear that she learned her lessons well from her mentor, the late Antonin Scalia, that the letter of the law, no matter how petty, no matter how ridiculous, is more important than the spirit of the law, and that's to her shame. It is this myopic view of the law that allows such technically legal obscenities, such as enhanced interrogation, a.k.a., in other words, torture, to become technically legal. The time is long overdue to investigate the intellectual and moral bankruptcy of the originalist interpretation of the Constitution. It's time to hold these constitutional thieves, in my opinion, like Scalia 
and its precious Federalist Society and Judge Amy accountable. So we have a few more minutes left. Now we have the segment on environmental heroes, zeros, question marks, or villains. And today's environmental villain, a wolf in polite sheep's clothing, an alleged moderate, Senator Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, her ties to big oil and why she voted to confirm Judge Amy. And here's the thing. <coughs> Senator Murkowski played along, pretended to be this great feminist and be a Republican, which is an oxymoron. And she wasn't going to confirm Judge Amy. And then all of a sudden she saw the light. Why is that? Well, this goes back a while. According to Mother Jones, um, Kate Shepard wrote in October of 2010 about Lisa Murkowski's dirty energy supporters. So our campaign disclosures back in 2010 demonstrated that it wasn't Alaskans that put money into her campaign coffers or her write-in campaign. The majority of the funds came from out-of-state oil, gas, and coal interests. This is a write-in campaign. Murkowski raked in more than $2.3 million. Um, she's benefited from the support, again, according to Mother Jones, of a new, of a super PAC in 2010, Alaskan Standing Together. And that received contributions exclusively from corporations. They are Native Alaskan corporations, but they're still corporations. The Sunlight Foundation discovered uh, in the data that 89% of her money in 2010 came from out of state, and it was dominated by energy companies as her largest supporters. We're talking 2010. Galliano, Louisiana-based Edison Choice Offshore, um, they provide vessels for offshore drillers. That's her big, that was her biggest donor in 2010. <coughs> Excuse me. Maryland-based Constellation Energy, ExxonMobil, they gave her a big chunk of change. Van Ness Feldman, which is a D.C. lobbying shop that works for a bunch of electric utilities and natural gas and oil service companies. Um, mining interests gave her a good chunk of change. Texas-based pipeline company Energy Transfer Equity as well as Missouri-based coal company Peabody Energy gave her a big chunk of change. So, you know, once again, there's no shock here. And again, this article was written in 2010, but it shows even before Trump got into office, Lisa Murkowski was no friend to the environment, and she had a vested conflict of interest. Um, she was also in charge of many attempts to shut down the EPA's regulation of greenhouse gases. She was a leader in pushing to open the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge for oil and gas drilling. Um, you know, once again, she's got this conflict of interest. And now we have Judge Amy Coney Barrett, now Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett, who has familial ties to the oil and gas industry. This, if there, this is a perfect storm if there ever was one. And again, the conservative credentials through her religious fundamentalist beliefs is just 
you know, it's just the icing on the cake. It's also served as a, as a distraction. The real reason Judge Amy was elevated to the court was because of big oil and because of that case, that one specific case, BPPLC et al. versus Mayor and City Council of Baltimore, because it can decide or could decide who has jurisdiction to see these cases. And if the Supreme Court decides that they can kick it to the federal level, then all these states and cities that are just trying to get some justice from big oil and big energy, they have no chance. It's just that simple. And we have now a Supreme Court justice who took over Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat who is ethically, in my opinion, ethically compromised. And it is a sad state of events. So once again, that's the story this week. And uh, there was a lot to go through. I hope I at least did it some justice. You know, parting thought. This goes back to the whole idea of using the law versus the, the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. All right? And too many big corporate interests love the letter of the law because it allows them to jerry-rig what's actually happening. It's kind of akin to, uh, you know, when Scalia ruled in Citizens United, the idea that money is speech. He gave this beautiful, you know, this, this beautiful argument that was structurally, you know, intriguing. But it was based on false premise. It was the equivalent of saying, hmm, a dog has four legs and a tail. Here's a picture of an elephant. It has four legs and a tail. Therefore, this elephant must also be a dog. Once again, we have that false reasoning based on a, uh, a faulty premise that led to this mess. And then we have Supreme Court nominees and now a Supreme Court justice that evaded questioning, that evaded providing information on their judicial uh, philosophy by claiming that it would be inappropriate. It's not inappropriate. It's not inappropriate to ask a justice how they believe the law would apply and to use hypotheticals as an example. In fact, it is, it is inappropriate and amiss for that justice that, that's been nominated to refuse to answer. She was out of line. She just was. And now we're stuck with her at least until we get a chance to impeach her. So once again, they, they love complication because when something is complicated, it's harder to get to the truth. And they love all this semantic hair splitting because once again, it takes longer to get to the truth. We deserve better. This Tuesday, please vote if you haven't already. The GOP of Trump has to go. I don't believe in democracy. They have said so. And I do believe that old adage, when somebody tells you and shows you who they are, believe them. And Donald Trump and the GOP of Trump have shown us that they are the party of cruelty. They are the party of indifference. They are the party of white supremacy. And they are the party of neo-Nazism. 
and now it is time for them to go and to actually face legal accountability. So with that, I say good night. This, is, this has been the Environmental Justice Report with Janine Moloff, and I will be talking to you all next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.